You're listening to a Harris Lieberman podcast. If you're separated or are contemplating separation, then it may well be likely that you've heard from someone that when it comes to a property settlement, invariably there is a 50-50 split. And to find out whether or not this is true, I'm with Yvonne Cox of Harris Lieberman. Yvonne, is this true? The short answer is no, it's not. Um, in Australia, we, we don't have a system where assets are automatically divided equally between spouses on separation. That might occur in other countries, but it, it just doesn't happen here in Australia. Whilst an automatic division of assets might at first appear to be the most simple and therefore the best solution, an equal division may end up being really unfair to one party. Yeah, because the court has to consider, or the law considers, uh, the property pool, doesn't it, and who's put in what and, and, and that type of thing. That's essentially how they consider it? That That's right, Dan. So in Australia, the central piece of legislation dealing with family law matters is the Family Law Act. And that sets out all the factors that we have to consider when we're determining what is an, an appropriate division of assets, rather than taking a one-size-fits-all approach. So um, we'll, we can look at those factors, but it, before we do that, it's often helpful to just understand how a property law settlement works. So as you said um, before, one of the first things you look at is what's a pool of assets? Um, so we have to identify the assets, including superannuation and also the debts. The second stage is then to identify and assess each party's contributions uh, then we evaluate the respective needs of the parties. And then the fourth stage is to consider what, if any, orders are just and equitable. Right. Okay. And following that, uh, what happens? So, um, well, in the case of married couples, the relevant factors that are taken into account are set out in Section 79, Subsection 4, and uh, 75, Subsection 2 of the Family Law Act. In the case of de facto couples, these factors are set out in Sections 90SM, Subsection 4, and 90SF, Subsection 3. Um, they're, they're pretty much the same Dan, but for the purpose of today's discussion, I'll just refer to the factors that um, were the sections that are utilised in the case of married couples. So the matters that are taken taken into account under Section 79.4 include the direct and indirect financial and non-financial contributions made by or on behalf of a party to the marriage, to the acquisition, conservation or improvement of any of the property of the parties, even though that property might have ceased being property of the parties. So, for example, a house that was either brought into the relationship or sold early on and um, doesn't actually exist at the time we're doing a property settlement. Some examples of direct financial contributions to the acquisition of property include compensation payments, putting money into the purchase of a property and mortgage payments. Um, Money which is gifted to a party, often by parents of a party, which is then applied to the acquisition of an asset, is deemed to be a direct uh, financial contribution made on behalf of a party to the marriage. So we're looking at there not just contributions that each party to the marriage has made themselves, but contributions that have been made on behalf of them by a third party, such as parents. So... 
Uh, paying for repairs and maintenance to a matrimonial property which preserves the value of the property such as roofing, guttering, plumbing and garden maintenance is an example of a direct contribution to the conservation or improvement of property. Then we have indirect financial contributions and they include things like payment of household expenses such as groceries, utilities and rates. Then we go on to the non-financial contributions and these are a little bit tricky, uh, trickier, but there are a couple of cases which, have, uh, which give some really good examples of these types of contributions. So in the case of Whiteley and Whiteley, which was a case involving the now deceased artist Brett Whiteley, the wife was said to have made a non-financial contribution to the acquisition, conservation or improvement of property by being an inspiration to her artist husband. In Zubrick and Zubrick, the wife was held to have made a substantial contribution to the conservation of a damages award received by the husband because she performed nursing duties free of charge. So obviously had they paid for those nursing duties, then those payments would have come out of the compensation payment, therefore reducing the pool of assets av- available for division. There is a lot to consider, isn't there? I mean, it, it's, it's certainly just not the 50-50 split. Oh, no, absolutely, that's right, Dan. And, and um, of course, we've just spoken about the direct and non-direct uh, financial contributions, but, of course, there are other types of contributions that are really, really important when it comes to family law property settlements um, and it absolutely cannot be overlooked. And they're the contributions that a party or parties may make to the welfare of the family. So... Um, Examples of these types of contributions include looking after children and or performing household chores such as cooking, cleaning, washing and ironing. So um, they're all types of of contributions that are taken into account when um, assessing, well sorry, when evaluating um, how the contributions should be assessed. And um, that's not the end of the matter, Dan. We then have to look at Uh, after there's been an assessment of contributions, you have to look at whether there ought to be an adjustment in one person's favour for um, factors such as income disparity, care of children under the age of 18 and and the health of the parties. So that's just another factor um, that gets taken into account. And of course, if there's a business, uh, then that needs to be assessed uh, amongst that property pool as well. Uh. Yeah, that's right, Dan. So when uh, in that first stage, when we're looking at um, what what's involved in a property settlement, one of the very first things we need to do is to identify what the asset pool consists of. So if there is a business, then that might need to be valued. Um, uh, properties that are owned might need to be valued and superannuation entitlements need to be valued. So it's only once that has been done that there can be an analysis of um, of the respective contributions that we've just discussed and each party's future needs uh, to work out whether there ought to be a um, 50-50 division of the assets or whether it should be something quite different. So in some cases, it is appropriate for there to be an equal division of assets, but it's certainly not a one-size-fits-all. And in, in many cases, um, the, it, it is an unequal split of the, um, of the asset pool, and that's the most appropriate split for that particular family.
Now, while we're dispelling some of these myths, the the, the other myth, of course, is that um, you can't consider a property settlement until post-divorce. But that's not the case either, is it? No, absolutely not. So you can, uh, or parties can apply for uh, property orders and certainly commence negotiations for a property settlement as soon as separation occurs. In fact, in some limited circumstances, um, in the case of married couples, property orders can actually be made before separation. But of course, that's the uh, exception rather than the rule. But it's quite um, common for Uh, parties who have separated to want to uh, come to an agreement in relation to the division of their assets Mm. fairly shortly after separation rather than waiting until they get a divorce. And um, in fact, under the Family Law Act, there is a requirement that parties need to have been separated for at least 12 months and one day before they can apply for a divorce. So most of the time people will apply for their property uh, settlement before the divorce and mm. there's also a really good reason why people should do that rather than waiting too long and that is that the asset pool can continue to grow after separation so what the court if if there's a dispute and a matter goes to goes to court then the court will look at the asset pool that exists as at the date of hearing And in some cases, that can be really different to what it was at the date of separation. So that can come as a shock to many people. Many people just assume that um, the assets that will be divided were the assets that that existed at separation. Uh, There was a really good example of a case a few years ago involving a, a couple who didn't formally divide their assets after separation. They um, didn't enter any into any orders under the Family Law Act and they just essentially went their own way, uh, went their own ways. Um, A couple of years after separation, the husband then won a significant tax lotto win um, and uh, lo and behold, the wife made an application for a property order which Mm. included seeking some of the uh, the lotto winnings that the husband had received. And in that case, the court made it very clear that those lotto um, earnings were part of the asset pool that they could yeah, divide. Wow. Gee, there you go. So yes. that's um, a very good idea for people to get advice early on um, to try and resolve their, their property matters sooner rather than later because it can often get more complicated as time goes past. Yeah, and it also probably yeah, minimises the risk of perhaps one party doing some things with the, those assets that they shouldn't. Yeah, that's right. So whilst the asset pool might go up after separation, um, the reverse may be true. And mm. um, in some cases, parties may seek to uh, dispose of, of assets. There are um, some uh, avenues that can be taken under the Family Law Act to try and claw back assets that have been um, disposed of after separation, but that's not that's not ideal, and you want to try to stop that from happening um, beforehand. And the best way to do that is to really finalise your property settlement sooner rather than later. And there's a lot of work to it. I mean, just given the, the, you know our conversation, I, in my mind, I'm thinking, gosh, there's, there's an enormous amount of work. You, you really want to get this work started as early as possible rather than leaving it too late. Yeah, that's right. So um, the earlier you can seek advice, the better. It it, um, can be a 
um, complicated process. Um, obviously, um, you know, you try to keep things as simple as possible, but um, there is a lot to it to make sure that your client receives the um, a property settlement that is just and equitable and that is in line with the sorts of factors that we've spoken about under the Family Law Act. Um, property settlements, once they've done, uh, once they've, they've um, been finalised, they're very difficult to, to set aside. So it's really important that um, parties make sure that they have a property settlement which um, deals with all of the assets mm -hmm. and appropriately reflects the contributions that each party have made and also their future needs. Yvonne, thanks for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate calling us on 02 6051 5100.